You're listening to the podcast Opioid Abuse on the South Shore, where I, Desmond O'Neill, sit down with different people and organizations working to address the growing opioid crisis. In this episode of Opioid Abuse on the South Shore, you'll hear me speaking with Marshfield Town Selectman Mike Bradley, Police Chief Phil Tavares, and Fire Chief William Hawking, where we discuss the way that organizations in Marshfield work together along with countywide programs to address the opioid crisis. My name is Phil Tavares, and I'm the police chief of the town of Marshfield. Michael Bradley, selectman, town of Marshfield. I'm Bill Hawking, and I'm the fire chief in the town of Marshfield. What are police in Marshfield doing to help treat and prevent opioid abuse? Well, we started with uh, having a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week drop-off box for all prescription medication in our lobby. No questions asked. We also provide a pickup service for that. Uh, then we moved on to carrying Narcan in uh, automatic external defibrillators in the cruisers uh, in an effort to help save lives when we respond to people that are overdosing. Additionally, we work with a, a number of uh, groups uh, throughout our community and throughout our county, such as Project Outreach, where we team up with a healthcare provider and a plainclothes officer in an unmarked vehicle. We respond to a person's house who was overdosed within 24 hours and offer them treatment. Uh, we've worked with the school department uh, in educating our fifth graders before they move on to the middle school and in our eighth graders before they move on to the high school with drug awareness. Uh, we train routinely with our fire department and we participate with uh, some of the other organizations in town like Marshfield Facts and our former Marshfield Drug Task Force. How are the police and fire department working together? Well, a lot of what we do, the, ma the main thing is communication. I mean, when we respond to, to a scene like that, we're obviously the two departments communicate back and forth to actually recognize we're at an overdose because a lot of times it's not your typical overdose that you see. It's not just you go into a typical drug den and you know somebody overdosed. It could be anywhere. So we train together to recognize those type of things. We work together, you know, actually on the medical call. Sometimes the police get there first and they give the Narcan. Sometimes we give the Narcan. We've been carrying Narcan since we took over the ambulance back in 2000. So our Narcan's a little bit different. We administer it a little bit different. But again, the main thing is communication, to work together, to recognize where we're at, recognize the, so we can do the best we can for the patient when we get there. Right. What do you typically arrive to when responding to an overdose call? Yeah, that's right. It could be unconscious in their car, in their home, and typical someone, I mean, the, the, the face of drug addiction has changed. It's not typical. It could be anybody. It's, it could be anybody at all. So we have to recognize when we go in based on everything that, that happens at the scene that we have to recognize that it is an overdose. Do you really have a typical call? I don't think there is one anymore. No, so you're right. It comes in all, in all right. forms. It, it comes, like Michael said, he's right. It comes in all forms now. So, again, the key is communication. We just have to talk to each other and know what we're going to, and once we get there, communicate so we can take care of the emergency. Just, you know, uh, we, get the, we get the 911 call. We receive it at the police department, and then we transfer the call to the fire department. Uh, both agencies respond uh, simultaneously, and then uh, there could be oftentimes where we've administered the, uh, the Narcan, and then the fire department is uh, performing CPR. So it's... Um, a matter of the first responders just working together like they would in any medical situation. And, and it actually begins before the call, long before the call, with the training and the support we get from the Board of Selectmen of the town. I mean, that stuff doesn't come cheap. They have to fund the training. We have a lot of new equipment that we get, and it, it starts with the Board of Selectmen <coughs> prior to the emergency happening. It's planning and preparing for it. Well, it's really a community-wide effort in conjunction not only with, uh, you know, the town administrator couldn't be here right now, but uh, our public safety apparatus here, both of the chiefs, and we educate, promote awareness, uh, you know, about the risks and dangers of it, what you can do in the event of an, if an overdose, what are the signs, 
uh, I think Chief Tavares and, and uh, Chief Hawking held a, a seminar that also uh, was a, an outreach to the community about what parents can look for. Um, also, we, we clearly um, promote interagency coordination and communication. It's not only with the police chiefs, but all department heads in town, uh, my colleagues, uh, uh, Joseph Kelleher and uh, uh, Jim Fitzgerald on the board, and my prior colleague, Steve Robbins, and uh, um, uh, excuse me, Matt McDonough. So we've been doing this for a long time in an effort to, to end the stigma. And it really is a stigma that needs to end. I mean, heroin, opiate addiction doesn't, doesn't um, discriminate. I mean, everybody in this room has been touched in some way, and I know that was one of your questions, is that it just doesn't care. So if we don't continue to work together, we're going to lose the battle. You know, we're only keeping up at this point, and we're barely doing that, and we're really trying hard to do that. What are some of the biggest challenges we are facing as a town in regards to opioid abuse? Let me say it again. I think the biggest challenge is, is to, to end the stigma, is that there's something wrong with it. Look, it's an addiction. We know it. People have a problem. We want to help them. And, we, and there's a, a fear from people to come forward because that stigma I exists. No matter what we do, we're trying to get rid of it. People need to come forward to ask, what can we do? What are the signs? You know, as a parent, what should I be looking for? Uh, and we have you know, this information available to you. We also work with groups like uh, Marshfield Facts, uh, Marshfield Coalition Against Heroin. We do this in an effort to consolidate the efforts. So we're not working department to department or uh, like-minded group against like-minded group. We want to act together in a concerted effort so that we can actually try to make some progress. How is the town making progress in the face of the opioid crisis? Well, I can just tell you from the town's perspective, when I got here, we weren't doing a community-wide vigil. We do it every year now, and it's um, some of the members uh, of the Drug Task Force, which we've now sort of consolidated our efforts with uh, the town's efforts and uh, the Coalition Against Heroin and the uh, Marshfield Facts. And what we do is on those days, uh, just as a vigil as an example, we uh, remember and honor those who have actually lost the struggle with opiate addiction. We give people uh, a, a forum, a way to remember uh, respectfully, but also a way to get together. So it's one of the things we're doing, but in addition to that, uh, uh, both of the chiefs actually mentioned that they have training, support, and uh, one of the greatest programs, I thought, not only was the drop-off drop drop -off that was uh, created uh, by my board before me, but also the, the project outreach. And the chief mentioned that you go uh, one of his officers will go, or a detective, even if someone has an overdose in another community. Isn't that right, Chief? That's right. Yeah, so could you uh, expand on that? Because he has a way more experience. Sure. So basically, this is a, a countywide program where anybody that overdoses, uh, whatever community they overdose in, their name gets put into the central database just for us in law enforcement, and it notifies each other. So I know about, before this happened, I knew about overdoses that happened in Marshfield, but I wouldn't know about any of my residents that would overdose in Brockton and then come back to Marshfield the next day. So uh, we get notified of all overdoses and our residents that could overdose in these other communities, it doesn't matter where, and then we go out to that residence, even though it didn't happen in Marshfield, with the health care provider in plain clothes, knock on the door, we try to get them in treatment, try to get them a bed, and um, provide you know, the best course of action for them. And if they won't go uh, and accept that type of uh, treatment, uh, we provide options for other types of treatment with brochures. It's great for the, sometimes I would assume you get the family, which is really what we're looking for, I would say, because a lot of the times people don't want help. They don't think they need help at that time. But you give the family the resources to perhaps uh, pursue a Section 35, which is a way to involuntarily commit a family member uh, under the threat uh, of a drug uh, or alcohol-related death. And, and that's a process we have to go to the court. You have to fill out an affidavit. 
uh, they get a warrant of apprehension, and then uh, you know, the police chief would sign on as officers to find the person and bring them back to the court where they have a right to a hearing to determine whether or not they are a drug or alcohol dependent person. And if they are, uh, a judge can then sentence them involuntarily to a treatment facility. And, and unfortunately, the, these, these periods are 90 days, but uh, as I'm a lawyer, I've never seen anybody go more than 30 days because the state is just over, uh, overburdened with the number of people that need help. So I think from a community perspective, we need to continue to talk about it, and we need to urge our, our counterparts, uh, Senator O'Connor, our incoming uh, state rep, Patrick Kearney, are very familiar with these issues, and to urge them to promote uh, or to get the state to give us more funding for more facilities because we need them. Where do the fire station, police department, and town get funding for the prevention and treatment of opioid addiction? Both your departments, can you go ahead, Chief? Right, well, our funding strictly comes from the town and what we get. And, and again, it's, it, it's a significant um, you know, amount that we have to be funded to keep up with our training, to keep up with the new equipment that's coming, and that's where all of our funding comes from. Uh, in regards to the police department, some of the funding comes through grants uh, that uh, Marshville Facts has received or through Project Outreach. Project Outreach just received a large grant. In fact, that operation just received an international award from the International Association of Chiefs of Police because of how successful it's been. But what we also do is, uh, in criminal cases, we will seize drug dealers' money and put it up for forfeiture, and then we'll use the drug dealers' money against them uh, to try to help the, the victims of uh, you know, the, 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 what they've been supplied. What would you like to say to people that are surprised when they hear about Marshfield's opioid problem? It's every community, yep. everywhere, particularly in the South Shore, I say we get hit hard. And, and why demographically it is, I, I couldn't tell you, but I just know that it, it doesn't matter if you live in the city, it doesn't matter if you live Marshfield, Hingham, Situate, Duxbury, it just doesn't matter. The drugs are available, people find them, and unfortunately, you know, they overdose and and then one of my chiefs and their officers out there and I get, you know, I think I get a couple of notices a month that we've lost somebody or, or almost lost somebody uh, to an overdose. And it's, it's not going away. So the only thing we continue to do is to fight, fight back. Can you tell me about the Good Samaritan Act? I, I think one of the things that's important for the public to know is uh, the Good Samaritan Act, which uh, provides protections for those who call 911 or summons medical help for somebody that's suffering from an overdose. Um, the idea of the law is, you know, we saw it way too many times there's been uh, people suffering from an overdose that were dropped off at the fire station, dropped off at the emergency room, or even left in a hotel room uh, without getting medical attention because people that were with the person that was suffering the overdose were afraid to call 911 and summons, you know, police and fire there because of the drug uh, paraphernalia and, and, and residue that might be around. They, they were afraid they might get arrested. Under the Good Samaritan Act, no one who is present when the, when the police respond to that scene can be charged with simple possession of that drug. So that's one thing we want people to know. Another thing is there's been a change in legislation uh, and a law was passed um, about a year and a half ago that now allows us to take somebody into custody who had suffered a drug overdose. And the reason for it is this, in the past, uh, we would respond, somebody was suffering from an overdose, we'd give them Narcan, they'd come to, then they'd refuse treatment. Now, they don't have a choice. We can make them go to the hospital. Uh, why is because that Narcan wears off after a, a certain period of time, and that person, if they had enough drugs in their system, could begin to overdose again. So this is to get them to a medical facility to make sure that doesn't happen in a better effort to save lives.
And, and that law that uh, Chief Tavares was talking about really helped us out a lot too because we would get somebody that we knock in or the police knock in, we'd take them in the ambulance and then they could refuse treatment on the way to the hospital and get out anywhere. We've had cases where we go back to the same house for the same person overdosing you know, twice in one day. So that, the change in the law really has helped us out with that. How have you seen the opioid crisis evolve over the last five years? I'd say just from a community perspective, it's more recognized, people are aware of the problem uh, instead of being hidden. And, and again, that goes back to people uh, being afraid or, or a stigma uh, associated with it. We're just trying to, make, you know, we're trying to get rid of that so people come forward and ask for the information before they need it. And it's always available, whether you, you contact the town administrator uh, the chief of police or anybody in the police department or the fire department, the information on, on how to get help, where to get help, it's always available. If you, if you call us looking for a bed, someone's going to help you find a bed. Uh, so the, the addiction had started, uh, typically we saw it start with uh, Oxycontin, then it moved to Percocet, and then it moved to heroin, and now it's fentanyl. Um, so th we've seen the progress towards the, the United States government did a great job closing the loopholes in Florida with all the pill factories down there which dried up the pills. So we're not seeing the pills anymore at all. Um, strictly now what we're dealing with is, is fentanyl. Um, not even heroin anymore, just fentanyl. And you know how powerful that is. Uh, in addition to that, uh, what we hadn't seen in the past was police weren't carrying Narcan. We are carrying Narcan now. And police weren't going door to door uh, in plain clothes offering help before an overdose. We're doing that as well. Uh, so we're not only waiting, we're not just waiting for that overdose to happen and then responding within 24 hours. We're also taking a preemptive strike and if we hear about somebody that has a problem, we knock on the door with the health care provider and offer them a bed before they even overdose. So there's been some major changes in that. I can second that too. As a former prosecutor and now I own a, a small law practice, I can tell you the progression is exactly as the chief said it. You might have had somebody that injured their knee. You know, maybe they were a high school athlete or, or junior high and they were given a bunch of pills to, for the pain and then they're getting pills, it goes from the pills, uh, which are incredibly expensive. When they run out of the, the pharmacy to get them on the street, it's really expensive, so then they, they shift to the, the more, the, the, I say it's more cost-effective, the cheaper drugs is heroin, mm -hmm. and it's more readily accessible. It's, it's a shame, but that's the, the natural progression, I, I would say. It's primarily fentanyl, and even if it's people wanting to buy heroin, they're getting fentanyl. I think both of these gentlemen can tell you that I think uh, the drug dealers are trying to enhance their product and make it something that people want to buy. And when they do that and they add fentanyl to heroin or just sell straight fentanyl, Narcan doesn't even work on that. Not to mention you're only putting the people in risk, but you're also putting the public safety officials in risk too. It's because if you simply come in contact with fentanyl, you get a reaction from it. And Narcan can't really do anything for you for that. So what I want to say is we can't do it alone. We're here. We're trying. We need the community help. And not only are we putting our officers and you know, first responders at risk, but um, our canines that uh, you know, will sniff uh, looking for drugs often uh, have overdoses. So we're carrying Narcan now for animals. And that's something that was never seen before. Right. D depending upon how strong the fentanyl is, sometimes the Narcan <coughs> isn't effective. Depending on how long they've been down, too, because the natural progression is you know, they overdose slows the breathing, they go to respiratory arrest, and then into cardiac arrest. Right. So back to what the chief had said about the Good Samaritan Law, I've seen in action, the, you will not get in trouble. If you have an overdose, it doesn't matter. You need to call 911. If you come there, you will not be held responsible for the drugs that are on the scene. We'd rather you get the help not for the people. We don't want the people to die. And that's the whole purpose behind the law, and it's upheld. How can people get Narcan? 
you could go to the pharmacy, you could go to the police department, you could go to the fire department. I'm not sure they have read, they'll get it for you. Not to mention that I know that uh, Chief Tavares and Hawking had a forum publicly where representatives were here that had free Narcan if you, know, for, if you wanted to sign up. And I saw people signing up for it. And, and some of them were family members. And unfortunately, I think some of them were probably putting it away in the event that they, they overdose. But we'd rather you have it than not have it. It's one of the only prescriptions, you, it's actually the only prescription you can get on behalf of somebody else. Yeah, one of the things that I, I want to point out is that when you look at the amount of overdoses one year compared to the next year or this year compared to last year, you know, that is only what's reported because there's so many times that people are using Narcan at home now that never had it before and they're, they're being treated at home or at a different location and the police uh, ambulance is never being caused, uh, called. So to, you can't really get an accurate figure on how many overdoses we're really still having or have had compared to year to year. Let's say that number's probably greater. Whatever number you're hearing, it's probably much greater. To give you an example, on the, yeah. on the vigils, every year we place uh, more flags every year. We have 2,077 this year, and that's just the number that DPH gives us. And as uh, the chief was saying, the number is probably a lot greater because it, it takes time to determine the cause of death. But all I know is that the number isn't decreasing. And I, I'd like to get to a point that we place less flags uh, at that vigil, and we'll only get there if we continue to have conversations like this. Uh, and we do it together. And there's other groups. Um, what's it, Dr. Schramm's group? Uh, is that there's there's in plain sight? Is that what is that? Uh, that's a yeah. So that that's, that's yeah. That so in, in yeah. <laughs> sorry. In, in plain sorry. sight is when um, they bring a um, they they have a room set up like it's a child's bedroom, and uh, there'll be all kinds of different types of drug paraphernalia in the room. But it's in plain sight, and you wouldn't know what it was unless it was actually pointed out. You know, like the spoon, it looks like an ordinary spoon, but you flip it over and you can see that it's burned. Or the bottle cap that's actually used to suck the heroin out of uh, with a syringe. Uh, it's different things like that, that that are pointed out in a bedroom, like if it was your child's bedroom, that you should be aware of. If you see something like this, that says bad danger all over it. Marshfield Facts, I think, sponsored the, to no first time, excuse me, not no first time, but uh, to have the uh, in hidden in plain sight. Was it at the high school? Yes. I think we did, they did it at, at the high school. And uh, as I mentioned, No First Time is another great group. Uh, you can get resources. Uh, Matt, Marshall Facts, Coalition Against Heroin, No First Time. And if you just need to call, call the police or, or the fire department. They're going to give you the information. And you, they're not looking to, to get you in trouble. They're looking to help you or your family. That's right. Is there anything you would like to say that we haven't covered yet? The, the one piece that we didn't talk about that, you know, you often hear, you can't arrest your way out of certain situations. Well, you know, unfortunately, sometimes arrest is our only option because it'll force somebody into treatment that, you know, won't accept it on their own. Um, or um, for enforcement going after these dealers of these dangerous drugs, which essentially selling poison to people. So we do have to continue to do that. And the Marshfield Police Department leads um, an organization called the Old Colony Police Anti-Crime Task Force. There's 18 communities in Plymouth County that work together under, uh, under a memorandum of understanding that allows us to have the exact same police powers in each other's communities, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, work together on a task force uh, to team up against the drug dealers. And wherever they may go, um, we work on you know, putting an end to their business. Uh, and additionally, we have a lieutenant that's assigned to the DEA task force. Uh, we receive all kinds of information, you know, intelligence from them, uh, equipment from them, resources from them. And uh, he works with not only putting street-level dealers out of business, but dentists and doctors out of business that are dealing the uh, prescription medication illegally.
Well, the time from the arrest from someone that's a first-time user to actually incarceration, there's a very far gap, and there's a lot of wiggle room. So I know that uh, the courts and the DAs are always trying to find uh, options to incarceration, placing people in treatment and rehabilitation rather than incarceration. So you have to keep coming back to get to the incarceration point. But if you're a repeat offender, unfortunately, you know that's the end result for you. It's either the overdose or the, or the end result is, a, is the incarceration. So we hope to intervene way before that and get to people. And I know that I've been monopolizing some of the time here from the chief. But no. Chief Hawkins, you have anything no. else? No, and I would just you know like people to know that Narcan's great, but it, it's not magic. I mean, you don't just give them the Narcan and everything's well. I mean, you could give them the Narcan, it doesn't work, then you have to do some rescue breathing. So there's training that actually goes along with the Narcan. It's not extensive training, but it's enough to recognize and know what you have to do. Do you have to assist with the breathing? Do you have to do CPR when they go into cardiac arrest? So people should realize that, you know, once you get the Narcan, get the little training that goes along with it, and you can save lives. So I just want to add, the town is, is definitely working in conjunction with the fire and uh, police chief, uh, the district attorney, sheriff's department, um, in an effort to, to find ways to enhance the communication. For example, uh, the town just added a grant writer position. One of the, the things that I discussed with the town administrator is I wanted them to hopefully find grants that help us fund these departments because it's a strain on their resources, but they have to do it. So the only um, other aspect we have is call your, your elected officials, call your state representatives, call your senators. They know they're working on the problem. If you engage them, they'll give you the information you need. And again, I said before, we can't do it alone. We're here, we're working, we need your help. Thanks for listening to this episode of Opioid Abuse on the South Shore. To watch our documentary on the subject, click the link in the description.